Good morning. It is June 12th, Wednesday, June 12th. It is uh, 5.25 in the morning, and um, you are listening to Bedtime Stories with Dr. Dean. You can catch me at drdean125 at, at Instagram, and it'd uh, be nice to hear from you. And I want to thank uh, some of the people that have stayed on board with me and listening to uh, Bedtime Stories with Dr. Dean. And uh, it's been uh, been an interesting few weeks. I'm trying to do these more often uh, as time permits. And um, I think the last one I did was May 30th, so not bad. It's only been 12, 13 days. And... Uh, Let's recap a little bit of what's going on uh, in the sports world. We have the Stanley Cup Finals tonight, Game 7. St. Louis Blues are playing the Boston Bruins in Boston. My opinion is Boston will win that game tonight and take the Stanley Cup. And we have tomorrow, uh, which will be Thursday, we have the uh, NBA game, uh, the... uh, uh, Toronto Raptors are playing in Oakland uh, against the Golden State Warriors. I predict the Warriors will take that game, and then we'll have a game seven, which would probably be on Sunday. That's my feeling. Um, Otherwise, in sports, uh, uh, as I mentioned in my previous uh, podcast, uh, when I spoke about calf injuries and how tough they are and that they shouldn't bring Kevin Durant back too soon, I, sure enough, was correct um, in that he blew his, uh, uh, I don't want to say he blew out his Achilles, because my personal medical opinion from studying the tape of his injury, I don't think he ruptured his Achilles. I think he might have, you know, tore some fibers and all that stuff, uh, but I do believe the injury is more along what's known as a high ankle sprain, believe it or not, which is what's known as the um, medial malleoli. If you look at the way he everts his foot, uh, that would put a uh, compromising force on the medial malleoli. Um, And it would drag a little bit of some Achilles fibers, but not enough to um, really rupture the Achilles. So just remember that Dean, Dr. Dean said this when the MRI report comes back, because I do not think it's a, a ruptured Achilles. Might be a little tore, you know, like, you know, some tearing of fibers, but I do not think it is off the bone. I do not think it ruptured off the bone. I, I'm almost positive it didn't, because otherwise it would roll up into a ball. Uh, a true rupture of the Achilles is going to roll up. True rupture of any muscle, the bicep tendon, is going to roll up into a ball. Whatever you blow out off the bone, it's going to, it's just going to fold itself up. The tendon is just going to zip and turn into a ball. And I didn't. I don't think that happened. Um, so that's my prediction with Kevin Durant. Once again, these um, uh, athletes who are being paid a gazillion dollars, they have to get back out on the court. Uh, they have to get back out on the football field. They have to get back out on the diamond, uh, baseball diamond. It just never ends. Everything is dollars and cents at the end of the day. I'm paying you $15 million a year. you got to get your ass out there. So that's what it is. I predicted it. I said it on the last thing. Do not bring him back. The last podcast, do not bring him back. Very dangerous to do so. So that, 
as, as I always say to my girlfriend and other people, is the story with that. Um, okay, so we've recapped a little bit. I'm not a political guy. I'm not going to get into Trump and his travels in England, in uh, the UK. I'm not, I'm not, I don't talk about that stuff. That's one thing I stay away from is religion and politics. And uh, that's the, the deal on that. So other than that... Um, I think everything is uh, pretty much status quo. I uh, listened to my last couple of minutes of the podcast that I had, and um, we left off where I'm in uh, 1980, summer of 1980. I am at Campo Cuego in Andes, New York, which would be, for those of you who might know, uh, near uh, not too far from New Paltz and not too far from Margaretville upstate New York, and I am a waiter, waiting tables, and uh, basically um, smoking all the pot that's possible to smoke, uh, like a buffet, like a uh, pot buffet, and uh, having a blast, you know, just having a blast there, and waiting tables, and my mother had and father had to spend $500 for me to work at a, at a, uh, at a camp, what a what a what a nice racket this guy had. Um, you're gonna work here at the camp, uh, but you're gonna get you're gonna pay me to to work here. Uh, and I guess, like I said, his theory was that you know to feed me uh, three meals a day, I guess, was f- worth the five hundred for the for the summer. I guess that's what it was. So that's the story with that. I had a great time there. One of the things that I um, that I got a kick out of there was. Uh, at that time, um, I uh, wore a lot of uh, Pink Floyd shirts, and uh, I was fortunate enough to see Pink Floyd uh, at the uh, Nassau Coliseum with uh, Tommy and Dan and Len and uh, another guy named Jerry. And we just, uh, it was a great show. Uh, those of you who know Pink Floyd, they only toured two dates in the uh, uh, United States for the wall, and that was Los Angeles uh, at the Coliseum, if I remember correctly, and in Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, and I got to see them. So I had a Pink Floyd jersey, and I also wore a Bruce Springsteen shirt, um, and Bruce would end up releasing The River in October of 1980. But I used to wear the Springsteen shirt, and the owner of the camp, Stuart Chase, I think he's still with us, I think he's still alive, uh, the owner of the camp, because this is almost 40 years ago. This is uh, this summer. That will be 39 years ago. I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but it'll be 39 years. So Stuart Chase saw that I wore the Springsteen shirt a lot, and he goes, uh, he says something to me like, "You're a big Bruce fan, right?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love, love Bruce. He's great." And uh, he goes, "Come here for a second. Come into this room, you know," and takes me into this shack, which is like um, an homage to uh, all the years that the camp was open. It was open for probably 30 years before that, so it was like 1950. And every year, they would take pictures, group pictures of all the waiters and campers that, that were in that summer. So I, uh, I ended up um, seeing... So he, he, he takes me over to this wall, and it was summer of 67. And I go, and he goes, look at this photo clearly. And I go, okay. You know, he goes, study this photo. I want you to tell me if anything sticks out to you. And I go, 
Nah, I'm not seeing. It was like 35, 40 guys in a, in a photo that were either waiters or I guess they were campers, whatever. And I go, no, Stuart, nothing's, nothing, Stu, I call them, nothing, no, nothing's popping out. And he goes, okay. I said, do me a favor, tell me who, tell me what it is. He goes, look right here. And I look and I go, who is that? And he goes, that's Max Weinberg. And I go, Max Weinberg from Bruce? And he goes, yeah, that's, that's Bruce's drummer. And I was like, no way. He was a waiter here. He goes, he was a waiter here in 1967. And I go, oh, my God, that's insane. That's absolutely crazy. Well, very cool. Very cool to see. So, excuse me. So uh, I'm blown away by that and, you know, the rest of it. And you'll understand why, where that, where that leads to. um, And um, maybe I'll discuss it now. Um, So many years later... Uh, we'll, we'll cut back and forth. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go forward now, but then I'll come back. Um, so cut to like, that's 1980 cut to like 2000, excuse me. Let me take a sip of water. Hold on. Okay. So cut to like, I think it was like 25 years later or something. I can't remember 23 years, whatever it is. He's touring, Bruce is touring, and I'm living out here in Los Angeles at the time, and I've been here for years. And there, the Bruce is playing the Inglewood Forum, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was the Inglewood Forum. It wasn't Staples. It was the Inglewood Forum because Bruce only played Staples one one time. He said he'd never play it again. Um, he didn't like the sound, so it was the Inglewood Forum, and. Uh, you know, when you leave a concert and you drive uh, to a concert, uh, people have to uh, sit in the parking lot for 40 minutes before they uh, get to, uh, you know, get out. There's 18,000, 19,000 people that are trying to drive out of the lot. So we're sitting there waiting, and finally my buddy who I'm with says to me, what's that over there? And I go, well, it looks like there's SUVs coming out of there or whatever. I said, let's take a walk. So we were by the artist entrance, and I asked some of the people, hey, what's going on here? And they go, well, the band is coming out, and slowly but surely, and they're, you know, they're, they shower, and they you know, hang with family, and they meet people, and then they, they're coming up this ramp. I go, really? I said, so, okay. So everybody's holding, like, Born in the USA albums and Born to Run and Greetings from Asbury Park, any kind of Springsteen paraphernalia, hopefully, to try and get it uh, signed by, by either Bruce or somebody. So um, I stay in that area because, you know, we're not going to be able to get out, uh, move the car for another 35 minutes. So I figured, all right, let's hang here. So uh, so-and-so comes out and so-and-so comes out and so-and-so comes out. Next thing you know, Nils Lofgren comes out, and I tell him we have a mutual friend. Who's our friend? Mike Marino, comedian Mike. Oh, I love Mike. Mike and I are, know each other for years. I used to play in a band with his brother. I go, yep, that's correct. And uh, I said, that's what Mike used to tell me. And so I meet Gary Talent, and uh, he sees that I'm talking to Nils and that we have a mutual friend, so he felt comfortable to chime in with us on the conversation. And then... Uh, those guys leave, and uh, next thing you know, Max Weinberg comes out, 
and I've waited 25 years. It was got to be about 25 to 27 years. I'd have to look up the tour and see when these guys actually did it. But it's definitely over over 20 some odd years, definitely. And I, I, so he's signing autographs with a sharpie, and he's just he's just literally taking a sharpie and just signing his name as to whatever comes in front of his face. He could have been signing a check for all that 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 matter, but. Um, he literally was just signing. And I, I'm not one of these people to get autographs. I don't do any of those things. It's not my bag. I'm not going to a concert with an album cover. I think it's ridiculous. And But people do it. I have no, you know, I've hung out with Springsteen three times. I've never once asked him for an autograph. I just don't do it. So um, uh, I, I see Max signing these autographs, and I'm standing uh, uh, on a staircase while he's, uh, hanging out of the passenger side of an SUV and signing autographs. And I yell over to him. I say, hey, Max, you want to have a good laugh? And he goes, yeah, I'm always up for a laugh. And I said, uh, how about Camp Oquego? And I, folks, I kid you not, with as soon as I said Oquego, he, the, the Sharpie literally stopped. The Sharpie literally just stopped. And uh, he stopped writing and he goes who just said that and I I point I put my hand up and now people are looking at me because I have a connection to him and he goes uh you know I've traveled around the world with Bruce I've been all over the the entire planet almost and uh, not one person has ever mentioned that as a reference and uh he starts he goes how did you know about Campo Cuego then I told him the story that what happened and uh how Stuart had brought me into the room, and he was like, oh, my God, that's, uh, that's hilarious. So uh, he starts asking me questions, and, and I told him about the room with the photos and, and the camp photos and how I knew what year it was, and he was like, yep, you're 100% correct. It was 1967, and uh, uh, we start talking, and, and the irony is that every other time now I, I, I first uh, my first introduction to Bruce himself, the first time that my buddy got me backstage to hang was 2008. Uh, so I've met Bruce three times, 2008, 2012, and 2016, if I remember correctly, or two th- something like that. Two th- uh, no, no, I'm sorry. 2000, in 2008, I met him twice and then uh, hung, hung out with him twice. And then in 2012, hold on, I got to take another sip of water. I got something in my throat. So uh, I met him three times, and in 2012 was uh, another time. So uh, each time that I have been backstage, I have at some point either went to use the restroom uh, in, the, in the arena when the place is closed, uh, when all, all the roadies are breaking down the stage. And uh, I've run into Max uh, every time. Uh, as he's walking around the innards of backstage with a glass of red wine, uh, and I and, oh, and he literally knows me as Campo Cuego. All I have to say to him is Campo Cuego, and he, he just comes over and starts talking. So it's a pretty that's that's funny how Campo Cuego, twenty five years later, would become the in that I have with uh, Max Weinberg anytime I run into him, and I've actually run into him at Runyon Canyon. And it was, once again, Campo Cuego, 
And by now he sort of knows me, you know, the, the face, you know, from seeing me so many times. But I still use it as the reference point anytime I run into him. And uh, I literally, literally saw him in Runyon Canyon, and he, we started talking. He goes, hey, take a walk with me, man. I'm, I'm walking by myself, uh, you know, could use some company. And I ended up walking and talking and shooting the breeze with, uh, with Max uh, through Runyon Canyon. I had a great time. But that's, that's how Campo Cuego uh, ends for me uh, as a uh, springboard to be able to, uh, conduit to be able to... Uh, Wrap out with Max Weinberg uh, anytime I uh, see him or after a concert. It's very funny. I got. I will say, uh, in 2016, three years ago in August, um, I performed at a comedy club in Wisconsin, the Comedy Cafe, uh, and then August 28th, Bruce played um, uh, United Center in Chicago, and this is actually pretty funny. And um, me and my buddy Frank Chiotti, we, we, we drove down from Milwaukee 90 minutes and we went to see Bruce at the United Center where Michael Jordan, uh, you know, uh, the house that Michael built. And uh, we went to see Bruce and we got there early enough that there was, you know, a thousand people in the arena and, you know, just hanging out, the lights are on, everybody's, you know, eating hot dogs, drinking beer, whatever. And Max came out with um, uh, where I was standing, I could look down at the um, uh, behind the drummer. I was literally behind the drummer looking out at the stage, looking out at the audience, what, what would be the audience in, in 45 minutes to an hour. And Max came out, and I'm standing above him, 20 feet above him uh, by the seats, and... Uh, he was with some family. He must have known some people in Chicago. And I guess he was taking the children of that family up on stage to take some photos of the, of the kids playing in the drum set before the show. And when he got off and started walking back to his dressing room, just as he went down the ramp from the, with the kids, I, I, I yell, Max, and he looks up at me. And he can hear me because there's nobody in the arena. There's like a thousand people in the arena. And I go, Campo Cuego. <laughs> he just, he gave me a fist bump. And he goes, what are you doing here? And I, and I go, I was in Milwaukee last night. We wanted to come down. He goes, enjoy the show. He just started laughing. He was just, he thought it was very comical. He was like, I can't get away from this guy. He goes, wherever I go, I have somebody yelling at me, Campo Cuego. So that was the Campo Cuego experience. And, uh... Uh, I, I still think about that. I can't believe the, in a, I guess, I guess uh, July, August, I guess beginning of July will be 39 years ago that I went there. I just, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I can, I can remember, uh, so many things there. So with that, we, um, we, let's, let's put Campo Cuego to bed. It was a fun place. It was a great place to hang out and smoke pot all summer, and, um, and uh, just have a blast, and uh, dated a few girls, a few of the female wait waitresses, and, or servers, whatever, um, uh, had, you know, some fun, um, there was a guy by the name, he's long gone, a guy by the name of Richard Smith, we called him Smitty, he was like, uh, he was like our bunk leader, um, uh, he kept an eye, he was like the sports director, 
and he was a good guy, big pot smoker, and we would all hang and smoke pot with him. He ended up, he worked in a place uh, in Manhattan, a very famous record store, and this is 1980, a record store called Colony Records, and it was an, like, I think it was an all-night record store that stayed open till like eight in the morning or whatever, and you know, the way musicians work, and um, uh, they sleep all day and stay up all night, and he, uh, uh, so when camp was over, Camp Oquago was over, um, Mark, uh, a.k.a. the fat man, uh, with no disrespect intended, he, um, he took us to Smitty's uh, record store. It was one of these places where it would be 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, and you'd walk in and it would be rock, 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 rock and roll high school. It would be the Ramones would be on, uh, uh, Lou Reed would be on. It was all, it was a record store. And they'd be banging out the, the, the music, Bowie and everything, and Bruce and uh, Floyd. It was an amazing place. I think it was the corner of 48th Street and Broadway, if I remember correctly. And just a great place. And sure enough, we ended up, uh, Smitty took a little break, and we went on the corner of 48th and Broadway. And uh, 1.30, 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning, uh, smoked a joint, me, uh, the fat man, uh, Dan, Lenny, and Tommy, and uh, once again, another crazy evening uh, with the guy who was my uh, camp um, uh, judge and jury, I guess you could call him back then. He was the one who kept an eye on us and also was the sports director. And he's long gone. He must have passed. Uh, he's got to be gone about 20, 20 some odd years, 25 years. But uh, those were, uh, that was a good summer. That was a, a very good summer. And uh, 80 was a strange year for me. Um, 1980 was a little strange. It was the first time I started experiencing, even though I came from a very dysfunctional family and saw a lot of things that, you know, weren't very good for a child, a child to see, um, uh, I, I had somehow managed to escape any manifestations of any... Uh, any things I was, uh, anything I was exposed to. And um, I noticed uh, I was starting to feel a little bit depressed. Um, but 1980 was at the tail end of 1980. So October of 1980, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band released The River. And uh, that was a, a double album and uh, an album that really, really put Bruce into the mainstream uh, Bruce had sort of been tucked away uh, um, in the in the world of recording artists. He had uh, that was his fifth album, and the first four, um, obviously, Born to Run was the huge seller, and Darkness on the Edge of Town was a big seller. But Bruce was still not um, like this household name. But the River with Hungry Heart. Um, uh, became a huge uh, commercial success. This was when Bruce really started uh, picking up serious steam, serious steam, and um, obviously, which would be uh, peaked out at uh, Born in the USA in 1984. Uh, that would be the album that would change, probably change Springsteen's life financially. If I had to guess, financially, uh, "Born to Run" was not a financial success. It was a, it was a album that um, helped him stay in the game. And I recommend any Springsteen people, if you ever get a chance, watch 
uh, Wings for Wheels, The Making of Born to Run, and you'll see just how crazy Bruce Springsteen was um, <clears throat> and how motivated he was uh, at that time to, uh, to, to succeed on that album because he knew he was in trouble. Uh, uh, this was the last chance uh, that Columbia was going to give him. So um, October of 1980, that album is released, and we, of course, get tickets for the Nassau Coliseum New Year's Eve show. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I still have my ticket in my wallet, and that was $11.50 to see Bruce Springsteen. $12.50, that's right, $12.50. And I, every time I've been backstage, which is three times, um, and when we go backstage, we go for like two hours at a time. Um, Bruce likes to decompress for like two hours at a time uh, after all that adrenaline is, is spent. So, uh, and every time I've been backstage, I keep forgetting to show him the $12.50 uh, 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 ticket from the Nassau Coliseum. But um, December, uh, so I should say October... Uh, of 1980, um, I did something uh, for the first time. I only did it one time. It sort of um, defied my promise that I would never um, uh, use marijuana as a stepping stone to another drug. And sure enough, I ended up uh, doing a hit of mescaline, which who knows what was in there. It was probably 18 different chemicals uh, made in some guy's lab on, on Casino Boulevard in Queens. Um, but, you know, the theory is it's mescaline. It's uh, supposed to be a little bit like uh, not as intense as LSD, but I ended up doing it. That was a big thing. I did it on Halloween, and uh, me and uh, Len did it. We had a blast, and, uh, and um, uh, Mark, a.k.a. Fat Man, um, drove us around, and uh, that night we went to see a movie. We saw, I'll never forget the movie, Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens. Don't even ask. I, I couldn't even tell you. I've been trying to find it all these years. Um, but that, uh, we, uh, that became an interesting time, that, that period. 1980, we started uh, going to like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Dan, Dan got very hooked into Rocky Hara. Um, so some nights he wouldn't hang with us. Uh, I think it was 79 or 70, uh, or I think it was 80. I think it was 79, 80. But Dan would go to Queens Boulevard and see the Rocky Hara picture show. And he became, that became like another family for him, the Rocky Hara people. And he was still part of our family as well. But you know, we would maybe catch up with him later on at one in the morning when he got back from uh, Queens Boulevard um, from seeing Rocky Hara. I saw it a couple of times. It wasn't my thing to do every single night, every single week. Uh, Dan was doing it every week. And, you know, there was choreographed audience participation. And uh, But we'd catch up with him later on at a diner or whatever, or we'd meet him, or we'd even pick him up. You know, Fat Man would even go, let's, you know, we'll drive, uh, we'll drive into Queens Boulevard and uh, we'll go to a diner and uh, I'll pick him up at the, uh, at the movie theater. So it was one of those things. It was a midnight showing and the theater was, you know, then they were done by two in the morning or whatever and we'd go for a bite. But um, it was uh, definitely a very interesting uh interesting uh period we were doing this uh this thing where we would go to movies at a place in uniondale long island called the mini cinema 
and it was also Rocky Hara. Dan would come with us once in a while when he, you know, felt that he wanted to get away from his buddies uh, uh, from the Queens version of Rocky Hara. Um, so he would go out there with us, and we would go see these. Um, the song remains the same. We would get blastedly stoned. Everybody in the theater was blasted off their ass. Um, we'd see uh, Pink Floyd laser shows um, that were with Pink Floyd, the actual band. Everybody was tripping in the in the mini cinema. I was just you know smoking pot with with my friends, but I. But it was just a crazy time. You would go see uh, Zeppelin, the song remains the same. You would go see uh, Rocky Hara. It was just a crazy time. I was never in my house. My parent, nobody knew where I was except the five people in the car with us, you know, the four others with me. It was just a crazy, crazy time period. And then we'd end up at the SCOBY Diner. Um, at at uh, three thirty in the morning, we'd end up at the Scobie Diner in Queens, uh, on Little Neck Parkway in Northern Boulevard, which just recently closed, like I think three years ago. So we'd end up there four years ago, something like that. It was, it was just such an an insane existence. And once again, you know, school starting in September and all that. Um, I was, you know, popular with a certain group of people because I had built up this crazy um, taxi service of who wants to come in this car, get blasted out of their minds, and um, end up, you know, God knows where. It it just doesn't matter where we're going to end up. Who knows? We're going to we could end up in in one night. We went out. <laughs> One night, we got so stoned that we went out and visited the Amityville Horror House. I had remembered that the Amityville Horror House was 112 Ocean Avenue. I think it's 112 Ocean Avenue. It's either 112 or 119 Ocean Avenue. And I remembered the Amityville Horror House. And um, that was the house with the DeFeo murders, the kid who killed all his family. And... um, uh, we went out to the Amityville Horror House, and I remember a fat man would brought us out there, and once again, we're blasted off our minds, and I was scared to death to get out of the um, car. I would not get out of the car. All my friends got out of the car, and I would not get out of the car. The theory was, I was a little superstitious, the theory was that if I got out of the car, uh, I would be taken over by the same demons by some electromagnetic energy on the cement. Yeah, that's how insanity, insane I was. Um, I just, I would not get out of the car. Those guys got out. But my friends were a little bit scared, you know. I'm not going to make it like I was a complete lunatic. My friends were a little weirded out about that house, too. And I just remember the night that we went out there, it was like dark. I mean, it was late. It was midnight by the time we found it. You know, we had to ask gas station attendants. There's no such thing as GPS or a Thomas Guide or... Uh, there was the map situation was a whole different ball game in 1980. So we uh, we went out there, and I just remember uh, it was just dark. It was probably 11, 12, 1 in the morning, and I just remember it being windy out by Amityville, which I think was naturally that kind of a, 
of a colder place. I think it's right off, if I remember correctly, Amityville is right off the water. So I think there's a constant breeze coming off that. But I just remember being scared. I was like, I ain't getting out of this car. You know, my, and, fat man, and Fat Man's like, come on, get out. What are you, sissy? What are you, you know, come on, get out of the car. And I'm like, fuck that shit. I, 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 you know, I don't, I'll, I'll pass. I'll, I'll look at it from here, but I ain't getting out. And um, so you never knew. You just never knew. And I just became this taxi cab service almost. Uh, I, I provided entertainment for people that were willing to say, well, I don't know where we're going to end up, um, but I do know that we're going to get stoned out of our minds. We could end up in Alley Pond Park parking the car, throwing a Frisbee around with the taillights, with the lights of the car, creating uh, you know, a place to throw a Frisbee, and uh, buying a, a, you know, a case of Molson, I think we bought, or a case of, of Budweiser, and drinking and driving. It was, it was so absurd. Once again, I, I, not in a million years would I ever get behind the wheel of a car with booze in my system. But Fat Man was 415 pounds, and he, could, he wouldn't catch a buzz on something until it was about seven, eight beers. So uh, his body metabolized it very well except for that night that he, you know, drank the Southern Comfort and poured the bottle upside down and finished it. And then I had to take over the car. But that's neither here nor there. But um, it was just, it, it, it was, I can't explain it to you folks. I know I might have sold it to you on the first episode or second episode as being, you're not going to believe it. But I can't explain the lunacy that was going on. Then... Now this is all starting to come back to me now. This is, as I'm doing this, it's, it's coming back more and more. Then there started to be word of another fat man-ish kind of guy. Okay, there was two more fat men out there. I, it's crazy. There was a guy who owned a bar in Rockville Center, uh, Long Island, and... Um, his name is, was Barry. I believe he's gone, too. He's been gone a long time. He was a super nice guy, actually. He was a, another kind of fat man, but had a lot of money. Okay, I think he was left a lot of money. He was a guy that hung out with another a friend of mine from high school that uh, they were in a different portion of town. They were in an area called Crocheron Park. Um, getting into like Whitestone-ish, if I remember correctly. I can't remember if, I think that's where it is. But he owned a bar, and we were always invited out to the bar, and at, at times the two fat men would meet. It was almost like, you know, Godzilla against uh, King Kong or whoever Godzilla fought, I can't remember. But it was fat man, the fat men meet. You know, we would bring him out to this bar in Rockville Center, and, you know, one fat man would meet the other. So that fat man was, he was hanging out with um, these five or six guys and uh, young, young kids. And also, you know, very, it was a normal thing. It wasn't like, you know, he was uh, in, into anything weird. Uh, he just owned a bar, had a lot of money, and, um, you know, liked the company of... Uh, of the young kids back then, uh, 16, 17-year-old kids, you know. Um, so then there was another fat man, a guy by the name of Al, uh, who I won't mention his last name, 
Um, but I remember him, and uh, he also was an, had another uh, group of guys. None of these uh, th- that those guys still didn't do the wildness of my of my fat man, my Mark. Um, they still weren't as wild as we were. But, you know, because one of them owned a bar, so that's where they spent their time. You know, uh, that fat man brought his guys, his young kids, to the bar. Uh, they didn't go, tra- you know, tramping around from mini cinema and let's go to, let's go to Philadelphia tonight and see Julius Irving. Let's go to, uh, well, at one time I was sick and uh, uh, my friend Howie and, and Fat Man, I think, went to see Springsteen in Philly. So it was just, they, they, we did crazy, crazy stuff. Those guys did set things. It was pretty much, we're going to the bar in Rockville Center, you guys are drinking for free. And, you know, we'll get home at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. But that was that. That's what, that was their version of it. But I still had the absurd version, which was, we don't know where we're going to end up. We, we, we could smoke two joints, and the next thing you know, hey, you want to go to uh, Bridgeport? You want to go to Bridgeport Highlight and uh, play a few games of Highlight before they close? And next thing you know, we're driving up to Bridgeport. So it was, it was just ridiculous what would happen. And... Um, uh, well, I'll get to a story in a little bit, which is the all-time, the all-time classic, but that's in 81, and hopefully I'll be able to get to that tonight. I'd like to get to that. It's a great story of one night. But there were three fat men running around. One of them, like I said, was a guy named Barry, who was sort of confining his, his kids. I, you know, I know it sounds weird when I say this, his kids. And I don't mean it in a bad way. I don't mean it like he was doing anything, you know, perverted or anything. They were it was really very normal relationships. They never, never, nobody ever crossed the line. Fat man never crossed the line with me. Uh, Barry never crossed the line, as far as I knew from the friends that I knew back then. And it was just one of those things. It was just, you know, some people, uh, I guess, get stuck at a certain age. Or maybe they didn't have friends when they were 15, 16. And so all of a sudden, they're in their 30s now, and they meet a bunch of kids, you know, either in, you know, that play Pop Warner football or, or play in a basketball league, in my, in my case. And they just want to relive what it was like to be a teenager. Maybe they didn't have that kind of thing. So that's what it was. And then the other fat men was this guy, Al, who also, a lot of weed and all this stuff, and I hung with him a few times, um, and also, you know, craziness, but not nearly as insane as what I was able to do with Mark um, uh, with regard to exploring New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, wherever we decided to go. It did Nothing mattered. So, um, you know, he had this 1977 Buick, Buick Regal, and he knew his way around around places. He could take us anywhere. So um, mini cinema becomes a big thing. We're going out there. We're getting blasted, watching movies, uh, concerts. Um, uh, life is relatively good. Uh, take a hit of mescaline in ha- for Halloween. Uh, have a pretty fun time with that. And then, um, uh, you know, just... Everything was pretty good. And I started noticing depression was sinking in um, right after Lennon, John Lennon, was assassinated. 
um, that that left a, a, a weird footprint on me uh, at that time, and I couldn't shake that for a while, and it, it made me, I was very depressed, and um, uh, whatever, it is what it is, uh, I, I've battled with depression my whole life uh, ever since uh, pretty much that age, about 16, but I've always figured out a way through diet and exercise and running and jogging. Uh, that I would always, um, I always managed to battle it, my demons, pretty well. Um, and I, I should say, I just want to let the audience know that even as I'm smoking weed and drinking, I am still running five, six, seven miles um, a night. And, you know, when those guys would pick me up at night to go out on a Friday, Saturday night, if I wasn't working at the bagel shop, when those guys would pick me up, um, they, uh, you know, th I, there were times where I was literally just finishing up a five, six mile run and they would be waiting for me out in the street in the car because uh, I had to go hop a shower and uh, uh, th throw something down uh, my mouth to eat. So I just want to say that even though I was polluting my body with drinking and, and smoking and all, I was always running five, six, seven miles as a uh, 15, 16 year old kids. Yeah, I guess 16 now. So I, I, once again, I'm just trying to explain the, that I'm not sitting here condoning, uh, it's better to burn out than fade away kind of thing. Although I did think that at one point, um, or the old, uh, Roger Dolce, hope I die before I get old, that kind of thing. There was a time where I did think of that philosophy, but I did get wise to, uh, wise to it and said, nah, I don't think I want to live like that. But, um, uh, so we go see Springsteen. Lennon has been assassinated for 23 days. He was, he's, he's passed. And uh, we go see Bruce New Year's Eve. And that was a fantastic concert, a little over four hours. And uh, those are the days when Springsteen used to take a 15-minute intermission. Uh, now, now he just does the four hours without the intermission. But um, nobody better on the planet than the boss. But uh, what I would say... Um, so now 19, we get into 1981 now, uh, 81, uh, I think we're taking, uh, when do I graduate? I graduate May of 82. That's right. So I think now we're taking like prep courses for, uh, SATs or that might be September of, of 81. That might be the following school year, but schools, you know, uh, first five months of, of 81, uh, then school ends. Now, in the summer, nothing really that I can think of in 81, really, that I should uh, talk about. But we go back, uh, summer of 81, this is a great night. This is the all-time classic. One of the greatest nights in my life is this night with Fat Man. So, one night, Mark call. I call Mark, and or he calls me, and I said... Uh, I said, yeah, pick me up. It was like, uh, I think it was like a Friday or Saturday night. I think it was a Saturday night. And he says to me, uh, so I, yeah, pick me up. So he picks me up. It's like, I don't know, 9 o'clock at night, 9.30. He doesn't have to work that night, the, uh, the graveyard shift. And he says to me, um, you know, where do you want to go? And I said, I don't know. Let's just drive. Let's drive Jericho Turnpike or something, see if we can find something. So we end up, me and Howie, which was me and Howie, uh, me, Howie, and, and Fat Man. And we go to shoot pool 
at a bar in New Hyde Park on Jericho Turnpike called Henry's Inn. And it was literally looked like an inn. It was built almost like a hotel with a swinging door, uh, screen door, swinging screen door, and then you walked into the bar. And it was all Hell's Angel bikers that, <laughs> that, that, that hung there. I think it would be Hell's Angels, either Hell's Angels or uh, I can't remember what was a big uh, uh, biker bar, but this was an out-and-out biker bar. So we start, we, we're shooting pool with, uh, with, with a bunch of bikers. Uh, I, th- I really want to say Hell's Angels because I think it was. And we're shooting pool with these guys. And Fat Man was a very good pool player. Very good pool player. And I could hold my own. And Howie wasn't, you know, I don't think he was that great. But uh, I held my own. My father shot a good game of pool. So I learned over the years. And Dan and I used to like to go shoot pool uh, in Little Neck uh, together. And some nights, just the two of us. And um, so we're shooting pool with a bunch of Hell's Angels guys. And we're doing pretty well and beating, you know, he's beating them. And yeah, no problems. Everything, we're having a blast. These guys are cool and they, they take a liking to us. And remember, I'm 16 years old and, you know, fat man is fat man. And they get a kick out of, you know, us. And um, all of a sudden, it's about now cut to like 2 o'clock in the morning, maybe 2.30. It could literally be about that late. And I'll never forget this. The bartender puts on Rosalita Springsteen. And he's like, all right, guys, you know, I'm going to be closing in the next hour. So, you know, start letting me know what we're going to be drinking, you know, for... Uh, and he's just announcing this to the to the bikers. And um, it's like 2.30, a quarter to 3 in the morning. And we, we, and all of a sudden Rosalita comes on, which is a really powerful rock and roll song. I suggest if you don't know it, go YouTube it, type in Rosalita Bruce Springsteen and listen to the original version on the album, uh, Wild, the Innocent, the E Street Shuffle. And you'll see what I, what I mean. It's killer. And, um, it just gets you motivated. It's just, it'll wake you up. And all of a sudden, I look at Mark, I look at Howie, and I'm, we're singing the song using the pool cue at pool stick as a, uh, uh, as a uh, microphone. And I go, as the song is closing out, I go, let's go to fucking Asbury Park now and let's see if we can see the boss. You know, I'm thinking to myself in a non head clear space i'm thinking to myself oh yeah bruce will be there at four o'clock four thirty in the morning but when we get there or whatever so we actually i'll never forget this i i said listen man uh, you gotta drop me off i gotta i gotta get some water for the ride i gotta brush my teeth i want to take uh some sort of bag you know to because uh, obviously we're gonna have to sleep there um and we, we go to Howie's house. He goes into his house, gets, a, gets some stuff, toothpaste, a toothbrush. And he sneaks out of his house for, uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning now. Maybe, maybe it was a little early. Maybe it was like 2.15. Because I know we had like an hour and a half ride. And uh, it was like 85 miles. And uh, so we go down. So we, we, I go to my mother's, in my mother and father's bedroom. And I go... They're like, you're home? You know, they're half asleep. They go, you're home? I go, yeah, I'm home, but I'm leaving now. I'm going to go to Asbury Park. And you would think that a family would go, excuse me? You know, it's like 3 in the morning, 2.30. Let's just say hypothetically 2.30 in the morning. And you would think that 
the family would go, no, you're not. Get your, you're going to go, you're, you're, take your freaking clothes off and go to sleep already. This is ridiculous. And I said, nah, we're going down there. They didn't even flinch. They just went, okay, uh, all right, okay, just keep in touch with me. And at, at about, let's just say for shits and giggles, 2 o'clock, 2.15 in the morning, let's just say that, we drive down to Asbury Park, me, Fat Man, and Howie. We drive 80-some-odd miles to Asbury Park, and we find the stone pony, okay? <laughs> it's, just, it's now... It's now got to be, uh, it got to be 10 after 4 in the morning, okay? And remember, bars close at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I knock on the door of the Stone Pony, and it's, the whole area is completely desolate. Asbury Park is completely desolate. Then, and I knock on the door, and I'll never forget it, an old Italian man comes to the door and with a broom in his, in his uh, with a mop, a mop in his, in his hand. And he says, well, what can I do for you, man, you know, with broken English. And I said, oh, my God, we just drove down here from New York, from Queens, New York, and we wanted to see if, you know, Bruce was around. And, no, nah, Bruce not here. It's 4.10 in the morning. Uh, uh, he hasn't been here. I have not seen him in a few weeks. And it's not a big deal to them. They see Bruce all the time. And I said, oh, my God, we drove down. And, and I'm drunk and high and all this stuff. And uh, so... I, I said, can you do me the tiniest favor? Would I be able to see what this place looks like? We've heard so much about it, you know, in New York. And that this is, uh, remember, there's no social media. There's no internet. You, you know, to hear about something, you have to read about it in the village voice. Um, there's, there's no way of knowing about these bars so that Bruce Springsteen is tearing up with his bands. So, you know, I heard about it. Is there any way, you know, we drove 80 miles, which was a big thing back then. Springsteen even talks about this on Springsteen on Broadway. In his one-man show, he talks about the, the fact that New York and, and Asbury Park were only an hour apart, an hour and 10 minutes apart, and yet it was like going to the moon, okay? So I'm telling you, without social media and the Internet, life was very, very different. So... The only way I knew about this was reading about it in the Village Voice back then. And I don't know how many of you listeners know what the Village Voice is, but very famous newspaper uh, for everything. So um, it had everything in it you could possibly want. So um, we do the, uh, so the, the, for some reason, I guess I had a trustworthy face. The guy lets me in. He lets me into the, uh, into the place. So, uh, we, um, he goes, okay, come on in. I'm just cleaning up. My now Howie and Mark are just in the car. They don't really care to come in at that moment. Blah blah blah. They're exhausted. He's drunk. Howie's high. Whatever he does, you know. And I go in and I see the homage to Bruce. I see all the pictures and and all the uh, you know the and these are in the days of of like real photos. These are like Kodak snapped photos, four by six car, you know, photos. And I see it, and I'm looking around, and wow, this is the pony. This is the famous place. This is where Bruce Springsteen plays. Like, he shows up here uh, randomly, anytime. I mean, you just never know when he's going to pop in and hang. And uh, I'm like, look at this place. It was amazing. It was just a, really cool for me to see. And um, it was great. And we're going to take a tiny... Uh, Break. I forgot that I wanted to take a break for a, a word from our sponsor. 
and we're back. So uh, I'm doing a little bit of sponsorship, and I forgot to do it. I was supposed to do it like probably midstream, but I uh, I didn't doing it at the 51 uh, minute mark. So um, that's what happened with that, and um, so we go. I go into the place with the custodian, and he shows me around. And now it's 4.30 in the morning. It's a Sunday morning, and we're drunk and stoned, and Mark, not in a million years, wants to drive the uh, 80 miles back. And I'm not driving, uh, even though I don't have a license or anything, but even I'm still not going to get on the road. I'm too drunk, too high. We decide... I think we ended up in a diner, and now it's 5.30, quarter to 6, 6 o'clock in the morning. This is the summer now of 1981. We're in the summer of 81. And uh, hang on tight, folks, because pretty soon uh, I'm going to be leaving for college in the summer of eight, in September of 82, and that's where you're going to have some really good fun with me. Um, so now uh, we go to a diner in Asbury Park, an all-night diner, and... Um, then we literally, literally take off, or we go to the beach on Asbury Park. We go literally to the beach on Asbury Park. It's, it's starting to be warm already. It's one of those hot Jersey days where it's going to be 90 degrees. And it's 6 o'clock in the morning. It's warm. Me, Howie, and Fat Man take off all our clothes and we're in underwear and, and, and no, not even a T-shirt. So picture Fat Man, me, skinny kid, and Howie, relatively skinny you know, kid, whatever. And so it looked like an orca had dragged its newborns onto the beach. We are lying in our underwear with no shirts on, no nothing. All of a sudden, I hear... I hear a horse right at my face, and <laughs> this is about now 7 o'clock in the morning. We fell asleep on the beach uh, in Asbury, and all of a sudden, I hear like a, a hoof, like right at my face on the towel, and we brought a towel, blah, 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 a big blank, a big towel for us, a big sheet for the three of us, and um, I look up, and there's a horse above me and on top of the horse is a sheriff and I go oh hello and the horse you know lifts his head up blah 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 and I'm like what the hell is going on there's a freaking horse right at my face and he goes uh hey guys um good morning we're the only three people on the beach and I go uh, uh good morning officer good morning and he goes uh do you mind telling me what you're doing in your underwear all three of you and I said, well, let me explain. We drove down from New York City, from uh, Queens, New York. We wanted to see if we'd be able to catch Bruce. This is a true story, word for word. We wanted to see if we'd be able to catch Bruce at the Stone Pony. We've heard so many things in the uh, magazines and the um, uh, uh, newspapers uh, up north um, about this guy and, uh, you know, uh, that he hangs out at the pony and, uh, the wonder bar and all the bars in, in Asbury park. And, uh, I'll never forget. He goes, really, you drove down to see the boss and meet the boss to try and meet the boss. I said, yeah, that's what we did. And we didn't leave Queens till 
2.30 in the morning. You know, we were, it was a long night. And the guy just looked at me and he said to me, the police officer just said, all right, listen, anybody who loves the boss and comes down here is a friend of mine. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan as well, and we all love Bruce down here, and, and uh, he's been good to us and all that good stuff and blah, blah, blah. So uh, here's what I want you to do. As soon as you start seeing the surfers come up, uh, you know, come onto the beach, I want you to put your clothes back on, uh, whatever you got. And, oh, excuse me, I think it's the first time I ever yawned. It is, um, it is 6.22. We're almost finished with this episode. Can't believe it. Almost finished. Um, 56 minutes. We got three minutes and 40 seconds. Um, so, yeah, he said, put your clothes on when you see anybody coming on the beach and, uh, you know, stay safe and all that stuff and, and you know, sober up kind of thing, joking around. And he said, uh, any friend of the, any, uh, any uh, guy who's, uh, who's a boss, is a lover of the boss, is a friend of mine. I'll never forget that. And we didn't get a ticket. We didn't get an, anything uh, for disorderly or whatever, nothing. And uh, it was great. It was just one of those crazy nights. Then we ended up going to a, to a hotel. All of us slept for about three hours. Uh, three of us slept for a bunch of hours and, um, and went out to the pony that night. That night we went to the pony, so it was probably, I think it was a Sunday night. But remember, it was the summertime, so it was crazy busy. And uh, we didn't see the boss. We saw another good band. Uh, Bruce was nowhere to be seen. And um, I think I'm going to end it at that. That's one of my all-time greatest nights because of the lunacy that went on to get us there, to get us to Asbury Park, and then some hotel that we ended up renting on the beach for $11 in some flea bag hotel. We did get to see Madame Marie's um, psychic shop. That was what he, uh, Springsteen talks about in, in a song. <clears throat> Excuse me, Madame Marie. Hold on, I need a sip of water. Had a little, little spit went down the wrong pipe. So that's where it's been, 1981. Pretty non-monumental, uh, I'm... Uh, working as a, uh, 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 you know, selling bagels uh, in a bagel place, Bagel Oasis, um, at Francis Lewis High School for one more year. I'm going to be a senior in 80, uh, uh, graduate May of 82. So September of 81, I'm going into my senior year and you graduate 82. So it's getting crazy and, um, uh, you know, life is, is definitely a little interesting, little bouts of depression I'm noticing here and there, but I seem to be able to thwart them away with, um, with running and lifting weights and all that. But at the same token, still smoking pot and, you know, all that stuff. So um, that does come to, a, to an end uh, at a certain point, but we'll get to that. I'm going to leave you guys with that, and then we'll start talking about uh, senior year uh, SATs. I think I took my SATs in 81. I only got a 990, and then I'll talk to you guys on the next one about the schools that don't accept me and the schools that do, and then I end up, we'll talk about the college years. And that's when it's going to really start getting interesting because college uh, leads me into some interesting stories. We're going to have a long, a nice talk about uh uh, a legendary basketball player, Len Bias, uh, a very interesting story about that, um, who uh, I went to the same college with. And, um, and then we're going to get into uh, 
graduating school and moving into Manhattan. It's going to get, it's going to get interesting. So um, stay with me, and um, I will speak with you guys uh, soon. And this, is, uh, this has been Dr. Dean, and this has been Bedtime Stories with Dr. Dean. So those of you who get to go to sleep right now, good night. And those of you going to work, have a great day.